0: Welcome truth seekers all across the Fruited Plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you civics made simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Welcome back, how are you? This is Kim Anderson and I am back sharing. As we continue our online lessons, we are talking this week about the constitutional law um, in the United States federal government, or that's a really, really long title, But basically what we're doing now is we are breaking out the Constitution. It's civics. That's what we should do. And so we've had a lot of um, groundwork that had to be laid for us to get to this point. And so what we're going to be talking about now and over the next few videos is the actual Constitution. It took a lot for us to get to this point. We've had lots of debate. We've talked about how the the founding fathers debated the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists what all that meant. So we've covered a lot of ground to get to this point where we can actually start talking about the constitution, our law of the land for American citizens. And once again, this is one of the things that makes us as Americans extremely special as a country, the United States extremely special is our constitution. And so as we get started with this, I'm just going to do a little bit of background and we're going to be taking these videos section by section article by article. So today's video, we're going to be talking about, um, article one, which defines Congress. And so are you guys ready? We find ourselves, um, when we last spoke, the constitution had been voted on and ratified, right? Um, and so after the continental, uh, the constitutional convention was done, the Congress, of the confederation read the constitution after much, much debate. They sent it to the States, um, neither approving it or condemning it. Um, and there are a couple of questions, remember about ratification. Um, and John Hancock and Samuel Adams were key figures in that process. And you remember, we said that we were so grateful, excuse me, for Massachusetts because Massachusetts would not vote to ratify the constitution. And at that time, Massachusetts was like the state. It was like a huge state. Um, it was the state, you know what I'm saying? And so it was, it was the leader of states, if we could put it in that term. Um, but they, the people in Massachusetts wanted a bill of rights and until they knew that bill of rights for the individual was going to be secured, they didn't want to vote on the constitution. And so Adams understood that what was being created, hear me, created, never done before, created um, was a national government instead of a federal union of sovereign states. And so, um, and what was interesting was that the, they wanted to retain most of the governmental power. The men that wanted to, the states to sort of be in control they were called anti-federalists. And remember that debate with Jefferson was this and Washington was that. Which side of that debate did you want to fall on? And so by agreeing to, to have a Bill of Rights be in the, in, the, in the Constitution, Massachusetts went ahead and ratified it. And so, um, which is just I'm so thankful to this day for Massachusetts for the Bill of Rights. So in our Constitution, it's broken down this way. It has three main parts. It has the preamble, You know, we the people, Um, a main body of seven articles and the 27 amendments. Um, So we're going to start with the main body of the document, which is the articles. We're going to start talking about that. Okay. So I'm going to here's my retalk. Ready? Welcome to Civics for All Ages. Here we go. Um, As we said, the main body of the Constitution has seven articles. And these articles provide a plan and structure for the national government and a specific relationship between the states and the federal government. The federal government oversees the entire country and each state has its own government, right? Like that's how we are now, like it was set up that way, that's how we are right now. Article 4 of the Constitution requires the federal government to guarantee each state a Republican form of government. Now, we've talked about that. We understand what it means. We understand when people say the United States is a democracy, that that's not really true. We are a representative republic. And we probably need to start saying that more often. We are a representative republic. We're not necessarily a democracy. Not so much because, remember, in our earlier lessons, we actually defined what a democracy is, and we're not that. We are a republic. So the Constitution guarantees that each state will have a republican form of government, and that means that that Um, The government, the federal government guarantees that the citizens will be able to vote for representatives who believe that will best represent their concerns. Let me say that again. The federal government ensures that the citizens will be able to vote for representatives who they believe will best represent their concerns. That's what it's all about. So much of the debate that we're having right now is who should be able to vote citizens. Citizens, citizens. Okay. The writers. <laughs> That's my extemporaneous thoughts for today. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the script. Do my best. I'll telling you what. Okay. Um, the writers of the Constitution wanted to emphasize the importance of the individual. You know, it's such a key thing that they needed to cover. They needed to cover the whole land of the United States. And so they had to go uh, macro and micro. They had to do what was best for the country and protect the the rights of the individual. And so, therefore, the body of the Constitution establishes the legislative or the lawmaking function of the new government. Um, And one of the major problems of the Articles of Confederation was corrected. And a three-part form of government was established. This division permitted the writers to set up a system of checks and balances. We should have heard this all our lives and grant shared power to each division or branch so that one branch can check the other. So we have um, the legislative, which is Congress. We have the judicial, which is, which, are, which is our legal system. And we have the executive branch, which is the president. So each group has checks and balances over the other. The president just can't do everything he wants to do willy-nilly. Neither can Congress, neither can the judiciary. They all have to have a balance. No one can be great. No one branch can be greater than another branch, but each should be operating in their constitutional function. So last time I asked you guys to grab a copy of a, of a constitution and start reading and read article one. So we're going to break these down into sections and sort of summarize what the sections of each article, what the, what the sections of article one are since we're starting today. okay. So the first section of Article One that we're talking about um, encompasses Articles One through Three. I can get it out today. I can talk. Articles, Article One, Sections One to Three. Okay. So basically, what this does, this this section, these sections of Article One, establish how Congress is set up, and it's based on two houses. So we have um, Congresses. We have. Congress is a single body made up of two houses. We have the Senate and we have the House of Representatives. Um, The House of Representatives, their members are chosen every two years. Um, And the other house is the Senate. Their members are chosen every six years, but in a rotating fashion. So like at no point will all the, um, at no point will all of the Senate be up for reelection It's a third, a third, a third. So every two years, a third of the Senate is up for um, re-election. Every two years, a a third of the Senate is up for re-election. So not all at once, a third. Now, initially, the Senate was chosen by the state legislatures, which is a very interesting thing. And in 1913, that process was reversed, letting the people direct. Okay, I can talk. Letting the people directly vote. Whoa, I shouldn't have banged it. Eep. Okay, I'm going to try one more time. In 1913, the way that the Senate was elected was was switched. And in 1913, the people began to directly vote for their U.S. senators. Prior to that, it was done by the state legislature. So the people that we voted for, for our state houses, they decided who was going to be Um, the senators, the U.S. senators for that state. And in 1913, it changed and we, the people, began to vote directly for the senators. Okay. And so. Right. And so the other part that I want to make sure we understand is how the House, how the numbers of, of representatives are chosen in the House. And that has to do with the U.S. census. So meaning the larger states will have more seats in the House. The smaller states will have less seats in the House. So there are 435 seats in the House. And so obviously the larger states will have more seats. So New York, California, Texas, they're going to have the larger amount of representatives in the House. The Senate, it's only two people per state. So we've got equal representation in the Senate, two people per state. In the House, it's different and it's voted it's voted on sort of by your districts in the state. So California, New York, the most populous states are going to have more people in the House of Representatives. Um, I live in Florida, so we've got a great you know, we're sort of after Texas somewhere in there. Um, I'm not sure what state size we are; maybe four or five. So um, the largest states are going to have more people and it's not necessarily the, sort of that equal representation. That's the House. Um, Equal representation is the Senate, population representation is the House, okay? And that's why the census is important that it be accurate because the number of seats gets divvied up. And so if there's a significant shift of, um, let's say people moving from California to Texas, then we want those census numbers to be correct because it's going to determine for the next 10 years. How many seats does Texas have? How many seats does California have? Does California gain seats or does California lose seats? Does New York gain seats or does New York lose seats? And it's very important so that we know how many people will be represented from those states. So the census determines population numbers. And once we have those population numbers, we can then say how many seats that state will have in the House of Representatives. And everybody wants their state to have as, many, as much representation as they can. Like, doesn't that make sense? So you want to make sure that our census is accurate and that it's counting our citizens appropriately, that they're actually counting citizens. I'm just going to leave that right there. Okay, sections four through six um, speak about... Um, how senators and congressmen are elected and that the fact that they need to meet at least once a year, well, we know that they meet a little bit more than that now. Um, And Section 5 also says that every time Congress meets in any form or fashion, that it should be recorded. And that's still happening right now. It's called the Congressional Record. Um, And then Section 6 of Article 1 states that um, a member of Congress may not serve in another executive branch meaning if you're in congress you can't be on the supreme court if you're in congress you can't be on be be president you have to be in congress and that's the only thing that's the only place you can be um and clearly you know this was prevented to to prevent um concentration of one power uh, power (laughs) i am like i'm focused to prevent concentration of power being in one individual because you don't want somebody saying you know what i'm on the supreme court and i'm president not so much, buddy. We don't think so. So Article 6, 1, Article 1, Section 6, one, to make that clear. All right. So now we move into Section 7 through 10. And the important part about this and understanding this section, it's, it's a re- these sections are really meaty. Um, and so. It specifies the power of Congress, the powers denied Congress and the powers denied the states. So here we really we get to the sort of the functionings of Congress. And so, you know what I wanted to say? I'm, I'm, I missed something and I need, to, I need to put this, I need to get this on the, on, the, um, on the tape. I need to talk about where impeachment comes from. Articles one through three, I'm sorry I missed that. Let me just put a pin on seven through 10 and let me just state this part right here. Um, the Founding Fathers gave the House of Representatives the power to impeach officials. It's a hot topic and I want to make sure I touched on it. Um, They gave because they understood that people are people and they're human and sometimes they might break the law. Um, But they gave the House of Representatives the power to impeach, which means the House has the ability to bring the charges. Um, And after the House makes the formal accusation, the Constitution specifies that the Senate must hold the trial. And after that point, whether that person is found guilty or not guilty, the Constitution also sets the penalty of conviction um, and the removal from office. And what would what would have to take place in order for um, a person that was impeached to be removed from office? Okay, so I just want to make sure I got that part in. Sorry, I missed over it. And I saw impeach, impeach. We talk about impeachment. Okay, so now back to seven through 10. Let me grab some water. Okay, are you guys with me? Here we go. Seven through, section 7 declares that the House of Representatives and only the House of Representatives is the place for all revenue bills to start their journey into law. This section also gives direction regarding the president's veto power as well as the requirement for a two th- two-thirds vote of both um, of both houses as a means to override a veto. Section 7 is very important to your understanding of how Congress can pass a law. So guys, if you need some clarity on, well, how does, it, how does the bill become a law and all that stuff, go back and read Section 7, Article 1 of the Constitution. Section 8 describes 17 powers Congress is given directly by the language of the Constitution. This section corrects one of the biggest problems of the Articles of Confederation by granting the power to tax borrow money, coin money, and fix standards of weights and measures. Remember that from before, like they had no meat in the Articles of Confederation and every state could have their own currency and none of it could swap back and forth. And, uh, you know, currency in Virginia was worthless in Delaware. And it's like they couldn't they couldn't do any barter or any trading because they did not have the same currency. Well, the Constitution fixed that. And Section 8 fixed that specifically. And Congress, Congress can regulate commerce between the states. It can control post offices and the roads and the airways, I guess, which the mail travels today. Um, it corrected another problem by granting the power to raise an army and a navy. That part associate, you know, came out of Congress. Um, and associated with this power was the authority to take control of each state's militia or national guard. Meaning that a directive, a federal directive could come to um, lead a state's militia. A third major problem of the Articles of Confederation was corrected by stating clearly that Congress, not the president, Congress is authorized to act for the general welfare, welfare of the nation and to make laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying out all the powers vested in the government of the United States. Congress. Congress has a lot, a lot of responsibility. And this clause um, is the basis for the presence of what's called implied powers. Now, Section 9 clearly reflects the experience of the colonies with the actions of the British government prior to the revolution. um, And when they resisted the different customs and duties and taxes, as well as the writs of assistance as an abuse of power and tyranny. Um, it established the writ of habeas corpus. You guys have heard that before. A court-directed order directing the police to show the court a person is in jail for a proper legal reason. Now, I know you guys have seen TV shows and you know that people are in jail. Like, we can hold them for 48 hours. The writ of habeas corpus. That means you have to show just cause why this person has been arrested you, or, or, or is being held. You can't just hold them indefinitely how we see that today is a direct um, reason from what was happening prior to the revolution where people could be just be picked up and locked up and we don't know why you don't understand it just gone and so they had no basis and they had no recourse to get people released from jail or released from custody but our founders i'm telling you when they they got something they really got it and they were like no going forward we are going to have what's called a writ of habeas corpus which means i'm gonna read it again That it's a court order, meaning it's come, it's coming from the judicial branch, but a court order directing the police to show the court a person is in jail for a proper legal reason. Meaning I just can't get mad at you and say, lock him up and just hold him, stow away the key because he, I didn't like what he did. No, the courts, the, the, the police, our law enforcement officers must show just cause as to why that person is being held. And if they don't have a just cause after a certain amount of time, they have to release them. Um, And they they also created, um, let's see. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just moving forward. I'm just trying to make sure I touch on all the things, all the important things um, as they were written. Okay. It also, section nine also prohibits certain taxes. When this was written, it prevented um, taxes on slaves, um, prohibiting Congress from taking action against slaveholding states until 1808. So they gave them a minute to get themselves together. Um, And finally, Section 9 prohibits titles of nobility. These restrictions, once again, clearly reflect the colonists experience with parliament. They did not want that. The U.S. Congress was not designated to be a parliament like I wish I could just sort of shake you and grab you and help you understand how much they did not want to repeat their experiences with the crown and with England and with the British legislature, how they so much did not want us to have to live under that system. I mean, like they were so serious, like anytime something looked like it could possibly become a monarchy, they were like dead set against it. They did not want it. They did not want parliament, period. Congress, this was a new thing. They did not want to go back to the old ways and, and have a monarchy develop in the United States. They did not want it, period, the end. And so finally in section 10, it clarifies the relationship between the states and the national government by denying certain powers to the states. This section makes it clear that the states are not sovereign governments that are able to make treaties. The states are from are forbidden for, from taxing foreign imports and exports from that state. And the state may not keep a standing army, but they may have a militia. And as it pertains to us today, each state has a National Guard that a governor can use and call on for times of crisis in that state. And so um, and the National Guard can then be called upon by the federal government. but. You don't have the army of Nebraska fighting the army of Michigan. We don't have that. But each state has their own national guard for their own natural crisis that might come up or crop up. Um, And that's perfectly within the realm of the Constitution. And so I hope you guys have gotten a lot out of Section 1. I keep getting it mixed up. Article 1, the Congress and the different sections. So go back and read that and pull out some information, extrapolate some things for yourself about each article um, and each section. We will next time be doing Article 2, and that is on the presidency, which was not created to be the largest branch of government, but it is today. We'll talk about that. Stay tuned. And then we'll move from there to the to the to the judiciary. I can talk today, what is going on? So anyway guys, get excited. We're gonna take these and I want you to share these articles with your family and friends who may not quite be aware of all the wonderful things that go into the citizenry of being an American. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host Kim S. Anderson inviting you to visit our site kimsanderson.me.me for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcasts and our store. Follow us at hashtag weareexceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless and we'll see you next time.